Welcome to Elixir Outlaws, the hallway track of the Elixir community. Uh, I'm, I've had a little too much coffee today, so as Keithley would say, coming in hot, but I don't have any hot takes to talk about, really. <laughs> I, I wish I did. Oh, so y- you gave a talk last week. Yeah. And you were at Ampex. And I was at Ampex. So maybe we could just start there. So you, you want to tell us about your talk? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I uh, struggle with what to talk about for like three weeks. And then, of course, in the last week, I decided and had to uh, prepare it at the last minute uh, for the most part. But I was talking about like all the things that I've learned and principles I use uh, when building Elixir apps that are part of larger distributed systems. And what I mean by that is like basically, basically any company that has grown beyond like a single app runs the entire business. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that that's actually, you know, is relevant to what we have talked about recently. Uh, you know, your, your example of where you have to update the search index when you've done something in the main app and like, do you do that inside the transaction or not? You know, that you, you may still have just like one primary application, but you've got like these supporting services and you've got, of course, you've got your database, but we tend not to think about that that much because all that, like that level or rather that that area of the stack is really well hardened. Basically, everybody puts a database behind their, you know, mm-hmm. their app. Of some you put sort. all your stuff in there and and then it's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so so it's like when 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 you get to the edges, like, you know, you have a third party email forwarder um, or you have uh, SMS integration um, or you need to send push notifications or you've even just got like some other little microservice that somebody else in the company wrote that you need to talk to. And like, that was, that was basically the context of so the you, talk. You just throw everything into telemetry handlers, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's all, it's all <laughs> telemetry handlers. <laughs> so uh video is up on YouTube already. Um, I, oh, we, man. you know, haven't published it from the Casey Elixir Twitter yet. Uh, but, uh, Maybe I'll get to that today. Getting on it. Yeah. That'd be cool. I can't, can't wait to see. What do you, what do you think was like the biggest takeaway from that? Uh, like what do people seem to gravitate towards anyway? There was a lot of good feedback. Um, the, uh, uh, for one, I, I think people don't recognize, and maybe I just alluded to this a moment ago. People don't recognize they're building distributed systems when they start. Um, Mm -hmm. and that they're going to have to think about, uh, the failure cases and, um, and, and plan for them. And like, this is, this is the thing that's hard. And like, I don't, I don't have, you know, last time we were talking, I said, well, it depends, right? (laughs) Like all those things are depends. It depends. But, but you spend a lot of time thinking about what are, what are reasonable compromises you can make. That was one thing. Another thing that, uh, folks didn't realize, and maybe I hadn't put it into words before, but uh, we we like to think about timeouts as errors, but they're not errors. They're they're actual like liveness preserving mechanisms. So um, I do in the talk. I'm not going to go deep into that. I do cover what safety and liveness mean, and maybe Amos, you and I have talked about that before. I think we have. Okay. But, but like timeouts let you 
let your program not hang forever, right? Mm -hmm. Because if you assume that the thing will complete eventually and will never fail, then you're, you're in for a world of hurt. So like, you know, I think that people perceive timeouts as errors because they are often a decision that's not made for you. Uh, right. You know, you, you think about like you're using the network stack, you've got TCP. Well, it's not going to wait forever for a connection to be established. There's going to, it's going to give up because like there are system resources. It has to free up if it can't establish a connection and maybe some other program or some other destination computer you want to talk to uh, could, could establish a connection with TCP. So, so there's connection timeouts and then there's, you know, read and write timeouts. Like, can you, can you actually get a packet across the network in either direction? If you can't, then basically your connection might be dead and you don't want to wait forever for a packet to come that you can't, you can't read, or you don't want to wait for, for the other end um, to actually say, yeah, I can get another packet. So, so that's another case where timeouts, they're kind of decided for you and like, you can tweak those, um, but they exist regardless of whether you set them. Um, But again, like if you think about all of those things, they're all about preventing Deadlock's not the right word, um, but like, you know, waiting forever. Yeah, deadlock is the word I was going for in my head. So now I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, what is it really? Stall. Maybe it's a stall. stall? Yeah. <laughs> you, you, or you could call it starvation. Yeah. But that's a bit more specific about other um, participants being able to do work while your participant never gets a chance. Yeah, uh, so starvation can. isn't really the right word. And we, I, Yeah, we deal with with these kind of things with external services that we don't own. Mm-hmm. But I think there's a lot of, Oh, I I'm using Google or I'm using postmark or I'm using whatever. And there's like an assumption that you're never going to have these problems. And then when they do, they, they hurt often, but then also internally we see this like in like gen servers themselves have a timeout that's already yep. set. And if you don't pick one, I mean, what is it? Five seconds by default? Or five or seconds by default. It's, yeah. Which is a really long time. It is. <laughs> it's a really long time. Uh, if you get to that, you probably are already, you, you've already got bigger problems. So Right. Yeah, that's another one that people maybe don't, don't think about. At build, building systems with a relying elixir, I most often found that I either explicitly set that timeout to mm-hmm. something almost kind of rare unless it's, you know, a, a process that's across the network and I'm talking over a distributed airline, right? Or I set it to infinity because I know it's local and if things get, you know, and I've been really careful about designing so that it will never, you know, deadlock. But those, uh, yeah, you, you could, you could wait forever or you could just get a random gen server timeout and you're like, what the heck is this thing? (laughs) (laughs) What does that mean? (laughs) I've I've gotten um, some good use out of Keithley's library deadline for mm-hmm. passing for I having like up. a top level deadline and passing it down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really nice to to give things some some context of the bigger picture. I guess giving those little process context of an overall. And the I'd not thought I had like done that stuff tediously mm-hmm. by hand and. I'm like, oh yeah, he just has this little library that does that what I was doing tediously by hand. And it's just a few lines code. I'm like, why didn't I pull that out? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is really surprising how little code it is. 
Yeah. No, you just you have to get, remember to pass things, right? Like that's yeah, I was what, gonna say you that's get to what do always bites me. Yourself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's one thing that I haven't figured out a great way across systems or across um gen servers even mm-hmm. is is propagating that data that you want to be, I guess, semi-global-ish, right? Like like a request ID too, like when I'm doing tracing and I'm like, oh crap. You always find that one point where you forgot to pass the request ID because suddenly all of your all of your tracing stops and you're like, oh yeah, well, no spans for me today. But <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a hard thing in general. I think with with the model that the beam gives you, um, especially if you're going across different services, like in, within a single service. You know, I was thinking back to uh, the sandbox that Ecto gives you when you're testing. Mm-hmm. One of the things that it does is you can decide whether uh, child processes that are spawned inside your test get to use the same connection that you have open for your mm-hmm. test. And it does that through a little bit of magic of looking in the process dictionary and saying, what are the parent processes of this process that is asking for the connection? I suppose you could do something similar if your uh, if your parent process, the process that spawned it, has that request ID in its process state. But if it doesn't have that, then, you know, you, you might be, you're basically back to passing it around. Yeah. Um, and, and it's, it's hard. Uh, like I, I can't, you know, there, there are a number of these things coming out recently that require you to, to pass things along and they, uh, they all basically either don't do it or they provide you little helper functions that are wrappers around the standard library stuff. Um, that yep. injects the state that, that you want to pass along. So that's, you know, I, I think there's possibly an opportunity there for somebody who's really clever, uh, but I don't really know the answer. <laughs> yeah. I'm not feeling really clever about it either. Like I've, <laughs> I, every time I have to do it, I get, I get like, I don't know, I get frustrated and I still do it, but then I spend like two or three days thinking about, can I go back and make that not have mm-hmm. to pass that state around? And I mean, this happens. Not just in processes. I've been doing a lot of live view recently Mm -hmm. and it happens in live view. Like you have something that comes in at your top level and you want to pass it down to some lower level component and your options are like, make it a live component and do it through some event or like if it's actually coming from the URL, you just have to pass it all the way down. So hopefully Mm -hmm. you don't have too many levels deep in your stack because that gets obnoxious. Do those components act as separate processes or are they within the same process generally? So this is, it's really, it it took me a moment to wrap my head around it is you. So you have, you know, you have a live view, you have live components and then you have components. Okay. So the live view is um, it's like your top level Thing, right it it is a process it can handle events coming from the front end as handle event it has some it has a thing called handle params which can handle queries query params from the url it also gets the url in there um, this is all after it initializes in, okay. in mount is what it's called they all have uh yeah so it initializes in mount it's then handle params does query params handle event handles like JavaScript events coming from the mm-hmm. front end. And then it has handle info because it's it's a gen server, right? Then you have, I'm going to jump all the way to the bottom. You have component, 
which is like really kind of dumb. You pass in some data and it renders and then it's gone. It after it renders. So it's like a view, you, just like a basic view. Yeah. Yeah. Reusable at a component level, you know, like you could have uh, a badge that has a number on it Got and it. it has no events, but you use it all over the website and you just, mm-hmm. if, if the number changes, it gets passed down through everything. So there's no events around it. It really is. It's a function that returns a re- rendered HTML. And then there's the live component that sits somewhere in the middle. And this is what's confusing. It is not its own process. It lives underneath the live view process, but it has its own socket assignments. So its own data it can handle events from the front end or from anywhere else. Like you can push events to it from anywhere. It has no handle info. I suppose that makes sense. Yeah, it does. But like at first, when I first started playing with live view, that was a little confusing to me because Mm -hmm. they look, they look the same when you look at the structure of the code, they look the same. So you, you're like, ah, oh, just try to like, I, I have something in the system. Look, here's, here's where it got me. I wanted a component to be able to get a message from a broadcast from someone else. And then suddenly I was like, Oh yeah, I can't. <laughs> yeah. And that means I have to make, any live view that uses this component, then pass that broadcast message down or figure out a way to get it into an event. Right. And push an event. Wild. I, I mean, and there's, there's update too. You can send an update, which means that you update the data within that. I see. Component. That's very different from the scenic model where basically every component is a gen server of sorts, right? Yeah. Yeah. And and you can choose whether to to um whether to to handle the events in that component or propagate them up to the scene. Yeah. And so that's interesting. You can have multiple live views on the same page. To tell, I'm very confused. <laughs> Um, is, is it like you go to a static page and then it has, you know, it calls sub routes in the same page? Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. Okay. So you could mimic a thing like scenic kind of, except for there would be no top level owner, I guess. Yeah. You wouldn't be able to pass it all the way up. I don't know. I don't know. I haven't tried to do that very much. It's not. That sounds like opening up. I felt like uh, I needed. Yeah. Can of worms. Might, maybe. <laughs> maybe. It might be the ideal solution. I just haven't tried it. I don't know. But yeah, that's been. I, I don't even know how we got onto that topic. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it, we. So you were, you were talking about, uh, you know, things that you have to access from your live views that may be external oh, resources. Pa- yeah. Passing down that, that state. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, we were talking and, about context and yeah. I'm remembering to do that. And it just gets it just gets annoying. Mm-hmm. That's all. More than anything, it's just 
like, oh yeah, I gotta go. I gotta pass that down. I gotta pass that. Like when a- anything that's a pass through, I don't know why, but anything that feels like a pass through just frustrates me. Yeah, it's it's interesting that like that same dichotomy comes up, um, but there's actual mechanisms for it in other environments. Um, you, know, you think about uh, I, I don't know why we keep coming back to this because it, it's always useful for me to compare and contrast with live view, I guess. But uh, React has two kinds of of state you can pass around. There's like the properties that come into the component, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's also the context, which is just kind of some kind of global state. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and and it's just injected into the space in which the component lives, but the component doesn't have to receive it as an argument. And I think that the contrast there is <clears throat> in Elixir, we don't have that sort of thing, except for the process dictionary, like, mm-hmm. or, or other like local to the node, but global things like ETS or, you know, whatever. So I think that's what confused me is I actually was under the impression originally that the socket being passed because there's a socket that gets Mm -hmm. passed in on those components or on okay on not on component but on live component Mm -hmm. Uh, there's a socket i believe i'm trying to is is it some kind of delegate (laughs) that doesn't actually yeah it represent the original socket yes Yes. Okay. Now there might be some some of the private data. Maybe it does get some things passed down, but like the data for that component that you're used to reaching into the is the assigns is is empty now. So you're not getting anything from the one above, which makes sense too. Like you want it to have its own state to handle and not mm-hmm. be messing around with the pr- parent. But it's not it's not like a copy of the original. Not even it's like a like, wrapper around the original. Not that I know of. Hmm. I could be wrong. Please, if if somebody knows, just message me. <laughs> message me on public and Twitter. Berate me, and and we'll we'll make it happen. And I might berate you back, but that's all right. We'll do that together. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I don't know. Actually, on the way walking over to the room that I podcast from, mm-hmm. I thought about you can get certain data. I can't remember what the function's called, but there is a function to like dig into the private data. And one of them is URI, which would be really nice to have at some lower level components, right? Because I might want to redirect to the same URI, but minus a couple of query params or something. Interesting. And so instead I need to pass that down. At least I've found no way to just say, hey, send me to the same URI, but remove some params mm. from it. So I actually need that down there. And maybe that gets copied into the to the live components socket or something. I have no idea. I thought about. But then sometimes I might want that in the not live component socket so then I got to make mm-hmm. sure to pass it down anyway, right? Cuz that only gets assigns. It just gets a map and that's it. Well, I feel like I rambled. I talked real fast. You did talk so, real fast. It's all good. It's all that it's all you that came coffee in hot. and tea I've had today. I yeah. came in hot. I came in hot. Uh, I went over to post, had a coffee. I almost called you, but I knew that you said you were busy this morning. Yeah, so. unfortunately, they have. Uh, my uh, employer has has uh, co opted our usual podcast time. So, did you tell them it's, it's sacred time? No, nah, no. Nah, like I, can't, I, I, I can't make you do that. I don't keep it as sacred time. <laughs> I, you know, when, when I only have th- 
three standing meetings a week, I, I feel like, you know, I should just give them the benefit of the doubt and not make a big deal. Yeah. Do you, so you like, do you guys not have like a, a daily quick check-in? I guess some people no, stand No, we, we use a Slack bot. Um, so when you sign on, uh, you know, usually about within 10 or 15 minutes of you signing on, the bot notices you're there and then starts asking you the daily questions, sort of like a stand-up. What um, bot is this? It's called GeekBot. GeekBot. I, you know, I, I've had worse. <laughs> I've, I don't know that I've had better, you know, <laughs> Slack stand-up bots, but, uh, but that one works okay. Yeah, I've, I've seen where somebody just had a reminder mm-hmm. set up, like the Slack reminder that every That's day... That's the like, easiest way, yeah. Yeah, it would just As, post it a public... Stand, they had a stand-up room, and it mm-hmm. would post in there, and it would ask three questions. And then you were like, supposed to answer all three questions. But it would have to like, add here or something, right? So that everybody gets notified and reminded, right? We didn't have it do that. But. Oh, okay. Yeah, this this one actually, um, you. one thing that's nice about it is that you can go back and edit. Like it asks you the questions sequentially. And if you make a typo or like wanted to add something, you can go back and edit it. And it'll update the post in the main channel where your, your report goes. Oh, that's um, pretty cool. But yeah, we we try to keep it really light. It's you know it's basically the the typical three stand up questions plus one extra, which is just for fun. So so it'll ask you you know what did you do yesterday? What are you planning to do today? Are there any blockers? Right, the typical mm-hmm. stand up questions. Um, and then the other one is like today it was um, are there any new artists that you're really interested in? Uh, sometimes it'll ask you uh, you know if you feel comfortable post a picture of uh something you ate that you really loved those are related questions because one of them was the banana on the wall (laughs) (laughs) somebody got that i'm sure that's cool i got Mm -hmm. i like that idea of an extra question my uh my brother-in-law is also a developer working on a remote team and um they have like somebody in charge of the standup and okay. that person in charge of the standup is supposed to do like a little show and tell every day for like a week so that they can learn about each other. Mm-hmm. So that was pretty neat hearing about that. That's like a cool way. I don't know. Now we've moved on to like remote work, right? Yeah. Well, we're, <laughs> you know, this is why it's the outlaws podcast and not the other podcasts. We don't care. <laughs> we just talk. No, what we, no, so no the show and tell uh, is interesting because we we do uh, at our, our company wide meeting every week we do demos uh, for one, mm-hmm. um, but almost one. Uh, I'm sorry. Also, one of the the, the more fun things is um, uh, every week someone is tapped to share some things that inspire them or that they find fun, especially related to animation because that's what our business is. But just creative things, uh, you know, people have posted music videos, uh, movie trailers, and the, uh, the creative team curates the, um, the submissions. And uh, it's kind of like, it's like having a little intermission in your meeting. That's what they call it. Nice. Uh, it's like intermission. It. You get a little, little snack. How many times has Take On Me, the music video, been posted in there? See, you know, I, I've been, <laughs> I'm up next week. I've been tempted yeah. to use that. Um, but it's almost too cliche at this point. <laughs> it, that's true. It is. It's cool though. Like I, it is cool. 
I remember being, a, I'm not going to talk about how old I am. Uh, <laughs> I remember that, like being on TV, you know, when MTV still played music. Um, yep. And thinking, wow, that is, that is amazing. And I know they weren't like the first people to do mm-hmm. stuff like that, but it was, I don't know. It was just awesome. I loved it. <sighs> I wish I could do better. Or you could, I also, okay, now I'm on to animation stuff. Uh, and I don't remember the movie, but I just remember a little kid on a bike coming around saying, where's my $2? Because he was selling newspapers. But the guy in that, which might be Matthew Broderick, draws all the time in his book, and then it comes to life. Oh, I don't remember uh, this one. Like, Better Off Dead? Better Off Dead, maybe? Okay. I don't know. It was It was pretty good. I don't know. As a kid, that was like, whoa, he drew it his book. And then the characters started moving around on the page. That was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. So t- tell me about MPEX. How was, oh, how was the yeah. conference? It was, it was a lot of fun. We had, at, at my company, we had three people go through the live view training. Everybody's already writing live view every day, but all of them, so that they got some things out of it. So Sophie's training uh, was awesome from what I hear. I wasn't there. Sorry, Sophie. Um, but, uh, yeah, they, they got some good out of it and they, they really liked that she had them pair during that. So they got to like work with other people in the room and learn some things and help each other. And they said most of the people in the room had written live view, but we're still like just having some training and they said it was, it was awesome. So that was a good first day. I was running around picking up stuff for the conference on that day uh, and trying to help out, get everything set up. My Costco card saved the day on snacks. I think. <laughs> uh, when we were at Costco, Chris Bell and I went to Costco together and grabbed a, a lot of the snacks the day before. And when we got it up to the front, the lady's like, I don't know how you guys got this stacked in the cart. Uh, and whenever we got done, so we brought one cart to the register and we left with two full carts. I don't know. It's like a loaves and fishes thing. I have no idea. Wow. It was like, <laughs> there, like, there was this, there's a quantum singularity in your first cart, right? <laughs> like, right. You just yeah. sucked everything in. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we had it stacked. Like when we were going down the aisles, you know, they're really wide there, but I kept thinking, please, nobody walk out in front of me. Because it took me a bit to get it even moving. And then, and then thought, if you want to stop it. Yeah. Yeah. Because there was no way. It weighed way more than me. I would have been like drugged behind the cart if I tried to stop. So luckily we got out of there without killing anybody. Parking lot back to the car was a little rough. I hit a couple rocks and the whole cart stopped. <laughs> and I had to like <laughs> go get the rock out from under the wheel. But yeah, we, we got everything set up. And then the team from from binary noggin volunteered to help out finishing setup and and then checked everybody in so that was cool i i missed the first half of the day of talks but they just came out so i'm i'm looking forward to going back i really wanted to see brooklyn's talk and then quinn's talk at the end of the day mm-hmm. referenced brooklyn's talk so now i'm like now i really have to go watch brooklyn's talk but That's yeah it was it was a good time by the way on on the videos releasing. Oh yeah. Like, it was there's it was very awesome. few conferences that that spin them out that fast. Yeah. Was, Still waiting on Kobe great. from last fall. Come on, Francesco. <laughs> Get on it. Get on it. <laughs> yeah. So the the you know the group putting on impacts 
they did a fantastic job. Um, had a this is the first time I've been to Impex, and I think that every conference should have a jazz band because that was. Have you been to an Impex? I have not. Okay, so all day long there's a jazz band there through the whole conference, and they play Just playing in the every, hallway. No, like in the main room, the main stage area. Um, they were up on a balcony up above on the back side. So the stage is in front of you, the band's in the balcony. And during talks, they would take breaks. And then like in every break time, they would sit up there and play. That's play jazz. amazing. And it was, it was awesome. So, and I think like jazz music may not be your favorite, but everybody can kind of deal with it. It's not mm-hmm. like going to grate on anybody's nerves. Right. So I think it was, it was pretty pleasing to everybody. It was, and I, I like jazz music. So I really said there were a couple of times that I went in during the break and just s- turned one of the chairs around and then sat and watched the, the band for a while. I, they probably thought I was some weird, creepy guy, but whatever. Yeah. So John Carson's friend of the show, John nerve score team member, he gave a talk, uh, an ode to firmware design. Ah. And if, I mean, it was a great talk, but if anything, just go watch it. For his outfit, like he he came out dressed like what I can only guess Jeffrey Chaucer dressed like, <laughs> and, with a ukulele in hand, and uh, yeah, just like you know, puffy shirt. It was it was awesome, <laughs> and he gave a really great talk about uh, firmware design, and he he you know he talked about a few things that um, non firmware people may not think about whenever mm. they, they get into the first thing. Like, you know, when, when you're on a server, as long as you got some money, you can always add more CPU or more RAM when you're doing firmware may not be possible. You, you just, you're stuck. Mm-hmm. So you got to think about system resources. He talked like, I really like this cause it, to me, this is something near and dear to my heart. And I've, and I gave a talk about it before as you can write firmware without having hardware. Spec sheets hmm. are pretty good, right? That's, that's so you can you can put in mocks, and you're probably it's probably going to work because what uh, if the spec yeah. sheet is correct? <laughs> yeah, and and oftentimes, like oftentimes they are, or mm-hmm. you can search around online and hear people talking about it and say, oh, it's got a typo here. Hardware is pretty well tested. If it doesn't meet the spec sheet, you probably have a broken piece of hardware. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. Um, so, so yeah, and so they, all of that stuff is well tested and and well documented. Usually, um, sometimes spec sheets are a little hard to read. Every once in a while, as far as I'm concerned, there have been a few of them where I'm like, well, I don't know what the heck they're talking about. But once you get the hang of it, there, you have your inputs and and your outputs, and you can fake it, fake it till you make it. So, um, I really, I, I really enjoyed that talk there he, he talks about uh focusing on data like make sure you're focusing on data and you, you know if you put interfaces around the hardware devices now you can when i say interface i don't i don't necessarily mean like a job interface or a protocol or behavior or anything just mm-hmm. a way that you can mock out really and in, inject your own code in there then you can you can start to write tests and everything without having hardware which is Great if you're a hobbyist, great if you're if you're doing this professionally, because the most time consuming part of working on the hardware that I've seen 
if you're not doing it this way, is taking the SD card or or just the <laughs> hardware itself and taking the time to build yep. and load onto a device, boot the device, which is usually slower than the computer that you're working on, mm-hmm. run the code, get the output off of it, because like your tests are going to give you oftentimes better output than what you're going to get from that because you have to you have to build the output into the device if you want output from it. So there's just a lot of extra work there. I'm not saying that you don't need to do that sometimes. Mm-hmm. But you can you can get pretty far if not 100% of the way without running it on hardware. Um so does he does he uh, pair that up with like simulators for the hardware? Like um, run, run your firmware on this computer simulation of your hardware. No, no. Hmm. It was really like you have your target implementation. So you have some implementation for hitting your target hardware. And then you have a host implementation for hmm. when you're on your computer. Um, and, and really like f- focusing kind of on the host stuff a little bit whenever you're, you're starting out, then it keeps you from that old S- SD card in and out constantly yeah. like like make it work on the host he did talk about ponchos and umbrellas not much um, <laughs> and 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 he has some some really good uh acronyms in there camo hap but if you want to know what camo hap means go watch his talk i'll go watch the <laughs> talk sounds great <laughs> i'm not gonna tell you <laughs> uh it's worth it it's worth it it's good talk one of the other ones i really like is I I always like these and I use telemetry not as much as I should. Mm. You know, you always, it's always the thing you didn't measure that you should have measured <laughs> that you wish you had. Right. But Ethan Gunderson, friend of the show, uh, he also, he gave a talk on telemetry powered observability and, and it's good. It's especially good. If like, if you haven't done any telemetry, it shows like how simple it is. Mm-hmm. He has a, he has a few handlers. He has a handler for logs that just logs yep. errors or info, which I, which I like. I'm like, if you're going to do telemetry anyway, might as well throw the logs up in a handler instead of writing logs all over the I've place. I've been arguing that for a while. <laughs> people, yeah. people, and then you, then you only have one rather than like three or four things in the middle of your code that are not part of the primary function of the code. Well, and then you're forcing, tele, you're forcing telemetry in too, right? Because mm-hmm. now you've made the metrics have other things. So like I was thinking about log handlers and uh, event log. Like if you have an event log table that you want to write to, that would also be a good thing to throw into a handler. Cause now you're encouraging your teammates and yourself to put in telemetry because it has this other side effect of doing things that you want to have happen anyway. Right. That's when I was joking around about putting all your callbacks and and handlers. I don't really think you should put them all in there, but but there's some like system wide handlers. Like if you if you want to write to a to a, a regular log, if you want to write to some event log table or event log system that that you're keeping all of that data, you can build it right in at a level that encourages people to do the thing that we should probably be doing anyway. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I thought well, that was awesome. The nice thing about it too is that the um, if you're not if you don't have anything attached to that event, it's super low cost. Like you'll barely even notice it. So, um, you know, it's just like, well, telemetry will go look up whether you have any handlers for this event. It finds none. You don't do anything. 
Oh yeah, I didn't realize that how low cost it was. It's like let's, I do, let's look up basically. <laughs> I I do see that like there is the problem if you have a handler, right? For like if you register a log handler for events mm-hmm. and is that you you kind of need all of them and if your handler fails, this was like a big takeaway that I I had read in the documentation, but it didn't hit me until like it came verbally. I don't even think he talked about like how to deal with it yet, but it was if a handler fails, it doesn't break your system, which is great, but it pulls it out of the handlers and doesn't get called again. Yep. And I was like, whoa, wait a second. <laughs> cause, cause that's like with a gen server, that's not what I want to happen. Right. Like if it, if it fails, I want it to start over. And it, so that like, that blew my mind. Why wouldn't it do it the next time on a new event? I also understand why it wouldn't do it on the next Mm -hmm. event. Cause it could be crashing a chain of, it could be doing all kinds of problems. So pulling that handler out was something I just, I did not. Yeah. It it means you have to uh, have a good, uh, like whatever you're using to, to gather log events or, you know, um, mm-hmm. I don't know how, how you would collect it otherwise, but the, uh, you got to watch for that telemetry handler detached thing in your logs. And if it's happening, you need to go look yeah. at why that thing is failing. Cause those really should be infallible, right? They should. And, and if, if they fail, they need to handle it gracefully. Cause, uh, I think one of the things maybe people don't realize when it's first, um, when they first encounter telemetry is that all of those handlers run in the process where it was called in order in order yep in order of how they were attached so so like you you have to you have to i mean this is good um because it's like the flip side of the old otp logger where all the events were sent to one process and that process easily gets overloaded mm-hmm. the this you know spreads out the work but you you have the potential for you know if and this is like an explicit design decision in telemetry, the, the, the crash detach thing that like, you don't want, like, it's just telemetry. You don't want it to crash your app. If you can't log them, you know, a log line, or if you can't record a metric, mm-hmm. you should know that it can't record that anymore. <laughs> um, yeah. But, but you don't, you don't want it to crash because that's, you know, it's, it's, it's essential to operations, but it's not essential to the functionality. If you get my right. the difference. Yeah. yeah. Now I'm now I got that whole handler being pulled out thing. I'm trying to solve problems in my head right now. I need to get back out of that. Uh, <laughs> um he also talked to it about a couple of the gotchas, which um really had to do around one of them had to do around traces, which was, mm-hmm. you know, if, if you never if you stop traces never called, you lose that trace. It's gone. So if you have an error somewhere down at the bottom and, and you don't catch it, so you never call stop trace, you lose your trace. Uh, what, what tracing is he talking about here? Erlang tracing? Uh, no, I like traces and spans and stuff that you're okay. sending off. Yeah. 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 And then, which, you know, yeah, that could be because t- probably when you really want something is when things broke. Yes. But when things broke is when you're likely to not get something. So, so that kind of <laughs> sucks. I guess any of your like regular telemetry data will still be available. You just won't be able to link it to any trace because there isn't. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And then we already touched on this earlier, but across process boundaries is difficult because you need to get that context passed from one to other, yep. like a request ID. Um, and I, I would say the distance of those cr- those boundaries makes it even harder. So like by distance, I mean like if it's a separate server completely mm-hmm. versus like versus a, a just another process within your within your application. Yeah. And he, he said observability is really to answer the unknown unknowns. Which yes. I like that little that little nugget there. I don't know if that was originally him or what, but I wrote it down. Um yeah. So that was a good one. Quinn's talk, awesome. Doing some data log. As as always, she did an amazing job. I really wanted to talk to her afterwards, but we had to get out of the venue because there was a uh-huh. birthday party in the venue right after us. And uh then we were gonna meet up at the at, afterward but I think she was a little exhausted and I went and watched my daughter's band concert on video because live, because it was important. (laughs) It is important. So by the, by the time I got there, Quinn and Brooklyn were gone. Friends of the show. Maybe we'll catch up next time. I really hope so. I've talked to them just never in person really other than hi. (laughs) Yeah. We, we've been talking about having Quinn on for a long time. We should just do it. That's true. We should just do it. Maybe maybe I can sit back and let you guys talk data log and learn. I don't know that I have anything interesting to add to that conversation. (laughs) Hey, I did a totally data log implementation last year for fun. (laughs) I really wanted to talk to him about it because we have some complex data in one of the applications that we're working on Mm -hmm. now that basically gives you a red flag or green flag, right? Like, yeah, this is good or this is bad. But it's really deep data across many tables. And it's like a tree of data. So the deeper you go, the wider it gets. But to get that top level green or red flag, you have to get all of that data to figure it out. And so I was thinking that there might be a way to shrink the data a little bit, Hmm. right? To focus on what we need and pass it through some data log stuff and get the green flag, red flags right out of data log. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, that could work if you can express the rules to derive that green flag or red flag. I think it could. Uh, from from pretty... just like flat tuples, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the relationships between them. Like that's... Yeah. But but the thing is, like, there is... Um, I'm not going to use the right word here. I want to say isomorphic, but it's not isomorphic. Um, data log and things like you know, relational calculus, SQL, mm-hmm. they have so many similarities because, well, data log, you know, comes out of the logic programming tradition, but it was about, it was about deduction. Mm-hmm. And, and you can do deduction with, with things like SQL. Yeah. So, so I think, I think that, you know, it may be like the gnarliest query you ever written, but you could probably do it all in SQL. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I might send you a query later so you can see the gnarliest query I've ever written. Oh, okay. That and then I'll also, I'll also tell you that it's a materialized view at the end of the day. Well, yeah, that's what you do, right? Yeah, it's, it's nasty. <laughs> uh, it has multiple uses of the lag function. Um, it's trying to get date-time ranges over multiple records. Ooh. Yeah. So like records have a have a start and end date, mm-hmm. but you want to figure out what's the continuous block 
of the first start date to the last end date. But you might have holes in the middle. You, you don't want holes, holes in the middle. So, so what you end up with in the materialized view is multiple records, but shows the gaps. Mm-hmm. Like the first record might actually cover, you know, it could cover 10 records in another table and then have a gap. And then you have like the next one covers three records in that other table. So I would love yeah. to see that. That sounds really it's challenging. It's well, when we get <laughs> off here, maybe I'll just, uh, I'll just show it to you. Okay. It's, it's, uh, it's amazing. <laughs> and even though I wrote it, when I go back and look at it, it takes, it takes a minute mm-hmm. or 20 to realize yeah. what I was doing. <laughs> but it worked really well. Uh, as long as nobody changes anything in the data model, because I don't want to rewrite that thing. But yeah, I think changes are coming. Well, speaking of changes coming, it feels like winter's coming. We are getting close to the end of our time. Yeah. Except it's, you know, over 90 degrees outside. Winter can't be coming. <laughs> That's true. That's true. I might actually go sit out on the porch at the office. You are more than welcome. Uh, now have table and chairs out there. Like uh, not on the, the like right behind your office door. Yeah, yeah. Huh. That part is cool. That's that that's part of that is included in the office. The deck there. Excellent. And so, I um my table and chairs for my deck at home actually ended up being like kind of too big for my deck. It was hard to get around once people started sitting down. So I just moved it to the office. Makes sense. So you can have outdoor eating and socializing space. Yeah, and if you if you don't mind having plant sperm all over your laptop, you can work outside this time of year too. But I did spend a lot of time cleaning up yellow off my laptop after <laughs> only being out there for about 40 minutes. So yeah, that was not fun. When you can wipe pollen off of your arm. Yuck. Yeah, it was gross. <laughs> it was so gross. All right. Well, I guess we better get out of here. Let's call it. Uh good, thanks. Good chat. Sean, it's nice talking to you. Later.